if you believe they put a man on the moon man on the moon oh yeah baby moon conspiracy the interplanetary podcast the exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind your hosts here in london matthew russell and jamie franklin How are it's podcast. I'm really good. It's podcast twenty eight. I'm I'm happy to be here. To be honest, I'm really happy to be here because I tell you what, what it's the interplanetary podcast putting the ace back, back into, into space. space. Woo! <laughs> right. So, Jane, we got very controversial episode today. Oh yeah. Some said it couldn't be done, but it's we've been done, done it. though, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been it done. Been done. He has been done. Uh, we're, we're basically repeating uh, something that happened in 2013 when the uh, British Interplanetary Society took on Marcus yeah. Allen of Nexus uh-huh. uh, about moon conspiracy. Um, uh, but this is, and so we've got an interview today with Marcus, which I think is just phenomenal. When you say so, moon conspiracy, do you mean us? La- man landing on the moon, or do you mean that there's the no moon. moon itself? Oh, okay, uh, just so, to make sure. It's a really interesting one, and uh, we want all our listeners to listen to this and maybe send in the killer bit of evidence that will make Marcus no longer believe that man didn't go to the moon. Absolutely. You will hear what he says he wants um, to, to, to believe that we did. Um, and, and I think Matt will agree with me in that, you know, Marcus has been quite brave coming on to a... Uh, a space podcast to talk about this as he was equally brave to go to the BIS. Um, so let's give him the respect by, if you're going to comment, please make it uh, cordial, shall we say. And, th- and remember, this is part one. So we've got part two to fin- to really kind of delve deep. So we really want this to be interactive. We want you emailing in. We want you uh, tweeting in anything, anywhere you want to get in contact with us. To, uh, to, to let us know your thoughts on this conspiracy theory. It's a that hot you're topic. It is a hot topic. So, here we go. Today's guest is Marcus Allen. He's the UK editor of Nexus magazine. And we're inviting him on the show because one thing that comes up quite a lot when you talk about space and when I talk about space to other people are quite a few of the conspiracy theories that are around space uh, you know, most notably uh, the moon hoax, but there's a few others. And I thought it'd be really interesting to have someone like Marcus come on the show and talk about these particular conspiracy theories. And, and we thought it'd be good fun. Marcus, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, just one point. I'm, I'm not the editor of Nexus, by the way. I'm the publisher of Nexus. Ah, I, sorry. OK, I, yes. The editor of Nexus lives in Australia. His name is Duncan Rhodes. But I, I publish, sell and distribute Nexus in the UK and Europe. So slight, uh, you know, slight differentiation there. So we haven't even got through the intro and there's already fake news. Come on, Matthew. <laughs> well, this is good, isn't it? So uh, <laughs> yeah, good that's stuff. good. Thank you very much for clearing that up. Okay. So, yeah, I, I guess, Marcus, if you can just fire away with some of the, with some of the more prominent... Uh, theories that are out there that um, would, you know, fly in the face of our normal listenership, which is very much a kind of science-led 
space enthusiasm uh, listenership. But it'd be good to yeah to hear some of the things that that you think are prominent at the moment in in the in the world of conspiracy. I suppose we could call it, but unless you have another name for it. Well, uh, conspiracy theory is that famous phrase that was actually. Um first dreamt up in America in the late 1960s by um, people who were trying to discount all the wild accusations of internal politics around the Kennedy assassination. November 1963, Kennedy was assassinated uh, during the time, obviously, during the 60s, there were a lot of upheaval going on. Robert Kennedy was assassinated, Martin Luther King was assassinated, and people were coming up with some, um, for the time, strange ideas that there was a conspiracy behind it to uh, eliminate certain aspects of American government. So the uh, the famous CIA came up with this, this phrase, conspiracy theory, to try to denigrate anybody who, who didn't agree with them or didn't agree with uh, the accepted view. And it's become a term of abuse in some respects. But uh, the key word behind it, of course, is theory. A theory, something which is an unproven fact. And one can have all sorts of theories about everything, um, space being one of them. And yeah, I'd, 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 I'd like to just quickly um, pick up on the word theory. In the, in, obviously, in scientific circles, the word theory isn't really an unproven fact. It, it, it means something slightly more robust than that in the fact that a theory is something that can be tested is normally a something that you postulate that you can then uh, test with um, experiment uh, and, and predict and in verify. the future yeah and, and verify and also it predicts yeah and it predicts certain outcomes that you can also then verify i think yeah it, like it's evolution get, theory yeah yeah it's important to get the word to, to to frame the word theory and i suppose conspiracy theory because it's not a scientific term, and you're right. I think I think it's it's important to make that distinction now. But I I completely understand what you're saying in terms of common parlance of the word theory. I think you, you're you're correct. Okay. Uh, so so how would you rather how, when when it comes to when when we're talking about uh, Apollo uh, photographs and Roswell, how, what what would be what would be the umbrella term for these uh, phenomena? Um, well, I, I suppose cons- conspiracy theory, because everybody understands where they're coming from and they use the term. That, that's probably the best best term to use, you know, rather than sort of introduce some sort of investigation into fact idea, which is terribly confusing and puts everybody straight yeah, to sleep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and actually, the, the, there are genuine conspiracies in history. For uh, example, the plot, the plot to kill Hitler was a conspiracy. Yeah. And it, uh, uh, so... Yeah. There, there, I don't think there's anything wrong with the with the kind of f- term in itself. I don't think it, it no, suggests. No. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it, uh, it's a it's basically a shorthand that everybody understands where you're coming from when you use the term. Uh, you know, so if you say, "Well, there's a conspiracy theory about the moon landings," everybody uh, thinks, "Well, what? What? Hey, where's he coming from? What's he talking about? How does he? Uh, how does he prove it?" Um, and that's what I've spent the last 20 years doing, which is investigating this idea that um, maybe we weren't told the whole truth by NASA. So, yeah, can I really can I pick you up on this? So uh, the moon. So let's start with the, the, the moon landings, uh, the, the Apollo mission. 
Are, is the main premise of, of your belief that, that they didn't happen, or is, that, or is it more that there's something that they're not telling us? Uh, it's it's, it's uh, parts of that, I would say, both sides of it are true. Uh, well, f from my point of view, obviously you wouldn't necessarily agree with that, which I quite understand. Um, if you, it's necessary to put the Apollo moon landings into the context of their time. This is the late 1960s, early 1970s. You have to look at what was going on around the world at the same time. We had the Vietnam War getting very unpleasant. We had the Cold War, which was uh, definitely getting a bit hotter than cold. We had the space race. There were, there were many political events, uh, geopolitical events, if you like, that basically involved the whole world. Now, in order to distract American public, the American public, from some of the very unpleasant things that were going on, such as the Vietnam War, there was the uh, Apollo uh, space program, which had been initiated by John Kennedy in May 1961, when he made his famous speech about we will land a man on the moon before the decade is out and return him safely to the Earth. You know, it, was a, it was a very dramatic and at the time appeared almost unachievable because at that time no American had actually been into space except Alan Shepard who had gone up and come back down again. Uh, it was basically, uh, this speech was May 1961. It's only a few months after John Kennedy was inaugurated as president and he'd already had to experience the rather unpleasant consequences of the Bay of Pigs fiasco where he withdrew American air cover from the invasion of Cuba to try to overthrow Castro. So things were going quite difficult for the American political establishment. They had to try to create something which would encourage people to partake, partake, get this right, lad, partake in something constructive, hence the, the space program. As I say, at the time, nobody knew if they could do it. It was a completely unknown factor. The Russians had been particularly successful. They had been the first to the moon in 1959. And America don't have the option of coming second to anybody. So they were definitely going to try to do something dramatic, which is the American way. They, they do dramatic events. Landing a man on the moon was a very, very dramatic event. Then they had to work out how to do it. And they had eight years to achieve it which is a remarkably short period of time when you think about the, sort of, uh, the technology. They had, to invent, they had to invent the rockets and the landers and the control centers and train the astronauts and put the ships out there to track it and work out what to do, how to do it. I mean, it was a major undertaking. For it, it, it's certainly a phenomenal achievement on that front. I mean, and as, as it's been pointed out quite a lot of times, it, it was 450,000 people were working on this project with an enormous chunk, something like 15 to 20% of the American GDP was being spent on this project. Uh, not quite that amount, actually. It was, it, in, in 1960 terms, it was about $40 billion, the whole amount, which in modern terms is about $150 billion. Um, it was... As I understand it, it was about, um, at, the, at the peak, it was 7% of American GDP. Okay, 7%. Okay. Now, those 450... It's still huge. <laughs> it was a big amount, that's, that's for sure. Certainly a lot bigger than the $19 billion that's just been um, agreed for the current budget. Yeah. Now, 
The 450,000 people who worked on Apollo, this is a figure quoted quite uh, freely and quite regularly. Mm -hmm. it's, it's true. There were 450,000 people employed by the many subcontractors of NASA. They weren't employed by NASA. They were people who worked for Boeing, for Grumman, for Hamilton Standard. They worked in all the various... Thousands of companies that were contributing towards the Apollo program. They obviously included some of the drivers and the cafeteria staff and the security people. They weren't all rocket scientists. No, 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 no. I mean, but still, there's there's still thousands of rocket scientists and 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 key key and those, staff. Those four hundred and fifty odd thousand people obviously all had families. So let's say that there were upwards of two million people who you could say would be directly involved. Because obviously if you work for, say, Boeing or for Grumman or for uh, any of the other companies that were in involved, you would be proud of the fact that you were working on this great adventure, the landing a man on the moon. You would talk to your friends, you would have your barbecues, and you would say, oh, look, I, I'm working on it. And, I, you know, I was doing this little bit on the rocket, and I was helping do the design. So, yes, a lot of people had a lot of enthusiasm and there are a lot of people involved. So when we get to 1969, and obviously the, the, the first uh, Apollo 11 going to the moon, and Neil Armstrong uh, stepping out, um, do, do you do you in your mind is 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 that in doubt, or, or did that happen? Did did American men actually walk on the moon in 69? We saw it on television. It must be true. <laughs> Well, not necessarily, and obviously Capricorn won the film, kind of, uh, sets the seed. Back in 1969, we were told what to expect to see. It's one of the key points that the whole Apollo program was going to be live on television. Now, we all know that space is, is quite a dangerous place. It's not, a, it's not very friendly to humans. It's a bit cold, or it can be a bit hot. It's got all sorts of unpleasant things there. We've got to take our own, all our own stuff with us, including our own atmosphere. How did they know they were going to succeed? Because it was live on television. Now, the one thing that would not be required is an astronaut dying live on television. How is it, how is it possible to ensure that didn't happen? Well, was there a, t was there a time delay on, this, on, the, on the broadcast? Uh, there was possibly a two or three second time delay, but there was no obvious time delay. My contention is that a great deal of the preparation for the landing was uh, involved training and simulation, which is quite quite logical. It's something you would expect to happen. You know, the uh, lunar uh, the lunar orbiter craft had photographed the lunar surface extensively in two or three years before Apollo landed. Um, so they knew roughly what the conditions were going to be. So these conditions would have been simulated in studios, in warehouses, quite openly. I mean, there was no secret that they were doing this. Simulations had been, uh, simulators had been built of the uh, lunar module, of the command module, and models have been made of the lunar surface, quite big models, um, 20 foot high model of the lunar surface using the lunar orbiter photographs to ensure that accuracy was, in, was maintained. 
And these models were then photographed and filmed quite openly so that when they were, the astronauts were in the simulators, you could project onto a screen outside the window what it would look like as the simulator approached the lunar surface. There's nothing secret about any of this. There are films of it no. happening. But yeah, but that, this is what... The, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pin you down on this point now. So are you saying that, that what, we was, what people were seeing on television at the time was not Neil and Buzz on the moon, but a pre-recorded, a pre-recorded act, essentially, for the American people, so that, so that they had something to go when... Something Neil, positive. Something positive for them to watch... Yes. ..while, while the astronauts go on with the mission. And if that's the case... Are you then saying that, that Neil and Buzz weren't on the moon, or are you saying that Neil and Buzz were probably on the moon, but what we were being fed as images was not real, or the moon landings didn't happen at all? Well, my, my position is that the moon landings, as we saw them and as reported by NASA, were not what occurred. OK, so can, can you elaborate on that point? So are you saying that the moon landings didn't happen or, or that they were different? And, 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 and in, in, which, in which case, how different were they? What, was the, what, what would you postulate would be okay. how they were? I would say that it was, a, uh, as quoted in the film Interstellar, I don't know if you've seen the film. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a scene at the beginning where our hero discusses his daughter's progress with his teacher. And the teacher when questioned as to why they have replaced the Apollo, the science textbooks, they said, well, we have done it because uh, we have now reported the moon landings correctly. And they were, qu and it was, the quote was, they were a brilliantly executed propaganda exercise to bring about the bankruptcy of the Soviet Union to make them manufacture useless machines meaning space travel. Now, Interstellar is a major Hollywood film. Why was that scene included? It wasn't really part of the story. It wasn't even necessary to the main thrust of the film. It seemed a very weird statement to make. A oh, no, I, I, I really felt that that did put the... I felt that that put the film in a very modern light in the fact... For example, at the moment we have uh, the Trump administration... Uh, uh, essentially doing a similar kind of rewriting of history around uh, global warming, for example. And, and, and I'm sure that the film director himself, who was surrounded by extremely uh, good scientists like uh, Kip Thorne, um, wanted to make that point. He wanted to make a point that, that, that science and scientific research are not safe uh, from ideology and 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 the course of history, and I'm sure that that was the point that he was making at that point. And I agree that it's it's jarring slightly to the rest of the film, but I think it does make a it makes a point about um, I think uh, global catastrophe and how it could happen if we ignore science and uh, uh, and go down the route of alternative science. And, and alternative news. Okay, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's why it was in there. I'm sure it's an allegory of that. Could be, could well be. That's a very interesting explanation. Um, 
I, I think we should steer clear of global warming because my view... No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I should have said this at the beginning. We uh, shall only stick uh, to space-related subjects because I think yeah, we that's could the only way all kinds can... of tangents. <laughs> so, Marcus, one thing I wanted to speak to you about was, um, you know, I've, I've watched quite a few of the talks that you've given over the years. And, I mean, I, I've only been researching it for a couple of weeks since we knew, knew you were coming on, but... The one where you were talking in the in the in the BIS um, you, was that the only time you've been surrounded by people who are kind of experts on the subject? Um, yes, I would say it would uh, would be because most of the time I do it in, in uh, I speak in conferences where yeah are familiar with shall we say alternative views absolutely and and so so my question is when you heard when you heard the rebuttal. Um, from from Jerry, and then the question and answers. You seem to kind of not really have a reply back to them, and kind of were like, you know, okay, you've you've got a good point there. Um, I mean, was there anything that you heard from them that made you change your mind at all about some of the things that you thought were hoax? To a point, yes, because there is always new information coming out. Um, I mean, I, I still research it at the moment i sort of try to find new information which, which yeah i mean in fact uh, and there's a couple of points we can we can bring up later uh which is something which i hadn't come across before now obviously talking at the bis um that was an interesting experience because i fully expected that i would be shot down within about five minutes when, when Jerry, who i'd met before the talk i'd actually been through the whole of my talk with Jerry before we did it, about two weeks before, we right. at, a, at, a, at a coffee bar, I showed him everything I was going to show, because I wanted to be proved wrong. I wanted to be shown, well, you know, how on earth can you say that? This is why it's so stupid, sort of thing. That didn't happen. In fact, there was a couple of uh, points raised in the Q&A session that followed our presentations, of mine and Jerry's, where somebody actually said, you appear to be talking across purposes. Jerry hasn't actually refuted anything you said, because what Jerry did was to do the talk he normally does when he's talking about Apollo to school kids and, and conferences himself. I don't know. I, I I did see quite a few times where he did kind of prove prove you wrong. Well, fair enough. I mean, I, I'm there to be proved wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I would actually like to even drag it away from... Uh, the one thing that frustrates me with uh, with this kind of analysis, uh, and uh, you know, and, and it, this happens in a, in a lot of in a lot of places, is is that you can start looking at the minute details of certain things and and find anomalies in them. And I think that it would almost be totally amazing if you didn't pick up a picture here or a picture there. So say if I was to say have two thousand pictures from my family wedding. And with the conspiracy, uh, conspiracy theory mindset, start going through those pictures and saying, well, that's a bit odd. This, this person, I don't remember them talking to this person or something's going on. And what the, the point I'm trying to make is that you can start seeing um, cause and effect and, and the puppet behind pulling the strings in lots of things where because you're looking for them. And the actual reality is in life is that, that things are very, very complicated and the human brain likes to kind of put stories to these complications 
to make themselves to make themselves feel as though they are in control when we're clearly not. We're 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 bound by such complexity that we're not in control, which kind of leads me to this this point that that we can keep looking at little tiny bits of evidence and saying there's something wrong here and you go yeah okay but uh, I'd like to just quote uh, Charlie Brooker who was the who was the writer of Black Mirror and a few other things and he really he he nails this for me because and here is his quote he says so if my four-year-old nephew tells me there's a magic leprechaun in the garden I have to spend a weekend meticulously peering underneath each individual blade of grass before I can tell him he's wrong do I? And clearly, no, you don't. You don't. It, as in, if, if someone says, well, this is, you know, I've seen this, it doesn't mean that you then have to then keep meticulously going through every single piece of evidence. I think, in some ways, it's where Jerry and the BIS got it wrong, was to attack it at that angle to, say, to sort of say, I'm going to try and uh, rebuke everything you say because all that's really going to happen is that you're going to go okay you're going to say fair enough for some of them and no I, d- I don't agree with other bits which I, which I which I think is kind of what happened yeah uh, and then go away and you can always carry on finding more and more evidence for your for your hypothesis uh, and uh and, uh, you know, it's got us nowhere, as in I'm sure that, you know, your experience down at the BIS, Mark, has had absolutely really no bearing on whether you were going to accept the Apollo moon landings for what they were or not. Um, uh, do, 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 does, that, does that make sense? Yes, it does. In fact, that, that, that sums it up very, very well, I think, covers it very neatly. Because to get into the minute detail of th- this photograph or that photograph or this footstep or that footstep, that's really irrelevant, actually, because, as you say, you can, you can go into minute detail and everybody can possibly agree or disagree on certain things. Um, it doesn't actually answer the, the basic question, which you asked right at the beginning, do you believe man landed on the moon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Now, my, my point is that there are some major problems, uh, which I usually summarize by saying it's the rockets... And just very briefly, the Saturn V rocket, the Apollo 6 mission, virtually shook itself apart. Everything then worked perfectly up until Skylab, which was also a Saturn V rocket launch, which also then had a major um, uh, acoustic problems, uh, where the uh, the, the uh, solar panels got quite badly damaged. So, yeah, I think I think that's quite I think that's quite a usual thing. Do you know what I mean? Acoustics is something I know a little bit about, and it was it's a phenomenally diff- difficult uh, discipline because because it, there's so many variables and it gets out of hand very very quickly. Uh, and I can give a very good example of where you'd think bridge builders would know how to build bridges. We've been doing it for thousands of years, but when we built the Millennium Bridge that uh, links Tate Modern over to St Paul's Cathedral, yeah. I, I went I went on it when it was first built, and it's wobbling all over the place. And this was an acoustics problem, essentially. It's a vibrational problem. And that was solved, but it just goes to show that even if you've solved a problem once, this problem can then come back at you because you've changed something else you've changed some of the parameters and, and that's what would have happened with Saturn I mean it, it seems to me that that they've changed the design parameters of, of the Saturn 5 rocket to do Skylab and the, the old problem from Saturn 6 has crept back up on them and, yeah. and I think that that's a totally okay. I, I think that's a totally reasonable and, and a quite a normal engineering 
um, occurrence, okay. I would say. Uh, the, all right, that's fair enough. The, third, uh, the second problem is, uh, uh, is the radiation. Now, that is acknowledged by NASA as being a problem. There's a famous Kelly Smith film, NASA, saying, you know, we have to resolve this problem before we can send humans through the Van Allen belts or whatever it was. Also, one of the um, uh, senior directors of NASA said that the radiation experienced in space is greater than that which we would expect humans to be able to survive comfortably. So we need to research it. Now, radiation is always one of those things which can either be dismissed completely as totally irrelevant, it doesn't matter, the craft is quite capable of protecting anybody inside, or it's a major showstopper of space. So, that's the second problem. So we've got rockets, we've got radiation, and the third problem is the re-entry. Now, re-entry has reared its ugly head again. The Orion craft was first launched on December 19, December 2014, on a test. It was not coming back at lunar return velocity. It was coming back at a slower speed. When you, when you return from the moon, you return at the same speed you leave Earth at, 25,000 yeah. miles an hour, thereabouts. Well, yeah, the, 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 and of course the fastest uh, Apollo capsule is the one that's down at the uh, Science Museum in London. So you can have a look at the one that did go the fastest through the Earth's that, atmosphere. Now, uh, that's a key point. When the, when the Orion craft uh, returned, one of the difficulties or one of the problems they experienced was the heat shield. The heat shield started breaking up. Fortunately, it didn't break up before the craft had landed, but they still have to redesign the heat shield. If the heat shield is breaking up at a slower speed than, than lunar re-entry speed, why don't they just use what they had on Apollo? Because, because the, Apollo, the Apollo capsule is quite a bit smaller than the Orion. The Orion is a, is a much heavier no, capsule. Not that much smaller. But it's, uh, Orion is a much more capable and heavier capsule. It's, it's quite a bit bigger. It's not, uh, it's not uh, that much bigger. Now, what I'm saying is that if the, the Avcot heat shield material, the resin that was used on Apollo, was successfully nine times, Surely a development of that would be all that would be required to achieve it. It's not coming back any faster. It's bigger, certainly. It's five metres in diameter as opposed to four metres, which is not significantly bigger. Oh, it is significantly uh, bigger when, when, when you consider surface area because of the... Right. Obviously, it's pi, pi r squared, so we've got a squared term in there. So there is quite a lot more... Uh, resistance as it goes through the atmosphere. But, but we, we can leave this that, to our listeners... But does it make to, that much difference? Well, we can leave this... To the, actually, the, this is why I wanted to make this a two-part programme, because I think that it would be really, really great if people... I know that there are people out there who listen to the show who are really, really up on this stuff. And it, uh, and so, yes, any any of these questions, and, and we can get those answers in and, and then readdress these, because... Actually, Matt, that's a good point. I was going to ask Marcus. Marcus, what would be... Let's throw this out there. What would be... Uh, what would be the thing that would make you change your mind significantly? Would it be, would it be a group of all the things you've mentioned to, to be completely proven the other way? Or would it be one single piece of evidence that would make you go, OK, hands up, I'm wrong about that? What would it take? It would take independently verifiable proof that something on the lunar surface was placed there by humans. 
not by robotic craft. We know robotic craft can land and take off from the moon because the Russians did that with Lunacod. But hasn't that happened? Hasn't that happened with Chinese and European probes? Okay, Let, let's let's talk about those famous photographs taken by the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter showing the Apollo landing sites. Right. Uh, we've seen the pictures. They are absolutely appalling photographs. <laughs> they're very bad photoshopped. You can prove they're photoshopped because if you take them apart, you can see it. Now, you've used Google Earth. I've used Google Earth. Everybody uses Google Earth. You always uh, have a look at your own house. I've looked at my own house with a car parked outside. I know my car's got a sunroof, and I can see it on the Google Earth pictures of, of my car. Those were taken 250 miles above the Earth through the Earth's atmosphere, which is a bit dirty. I can see something about two foot square, quite distinctly. The lunar reconnaissance orbiter photographs were taken 60 miles above the lunar surface through the vacuum space, and they show absolutely nothing except a blog. It's yeah, but the... Ludicrous the, the, the... It's ludicrous to assume that, that would be considered definitive proof. It's not definitive proof of anything, except somebody's rather poor photoshopped ability. I'm not an expert on this, but the uh, the Worldview um, satellites uh, that are taking the pictures for Google Earth, for example, are highly capable uh, um telescopes that are pointing down at the earth and and are you know these are 400 million dollar satellites of which we've sent nothing that capable out into lunar orbit i might be wrong about that and it'd be great for for people to write in because that's i think it's a, a it's a valid point uh but why we can't get good resolution images of the Apollo landings. But I've looked into this before, and I, I was reasonably satisfied that the, of the answer given. Uh, but it'd be great if someone could sort of come in with a really, really, you know, uh, cast iron, uh, a cast iron sort of version of it. OK. Um, uh, if, I, if, I, if I'm right in saying, you're saying that man didn't go to the moon and that we may have sent some robotic missions, but man himself hasn't walked on the moon. That's my point, yes. Because that is your point. Because I don't, I don't see the evidence for it. You say there is evidence for it. I say the evidence could have been manufactured. It could have been. Okay. Whether it was or not is, uh, is, is what we're discussing. It's possible that it was fabricated. Hollywood has remarkable ability to uh, present information. We mentioned Interstellar. They, they show what space or even what a wormhole would look like. I think it's incredible what what can be done in two dimensions. We've only seen it in two dimensions. Whether it was faked is what's being discussed, and one can go into yeah. interminable detail about details. So what? What? So I think Jamie, Jamie's re really trying to get this point over that what would be our killer piece of evidence that would make you accept, okay, we did actually... We, we, we obviously did go to the moon. What, what would be it? Because, like we said, we can keep finding tiny bits of evidence that, that sure. may so doubt. But what about the killer piece of evidence that would kill it off altogether? It, it's, it's more or less what I just said, that, that it's independently verifiable photographic evidence. This is part of Google X Prize, I believe, which is to land on, land on the moon and move, what, 500 metres and take some photographs, high-definition photographs to show that something was placed on the lunar surface by man, not by robotic crafts, as I said earlier. 
So yeah, but that but unfortunately we'd be in the position, wouldn't we, where where the X Prize rover will land, and maybe it, you know if it lands near enough to the uh, Apollo landing sites or one, yeah, of them, take it, photos and, and takes yeah. takes, a, takes a picture of the of the bottom of the LEM, then uh, that doesn't really prove anything because because I can I can clearly see now that what would happen is say well yes that was robotically landed there. How <laughs> how are we going to how yeah, are what, we going I think to... what, why why would you not then, Marcus, say that those photographs were faked or doctored? Yeah, it's certainly possible to say it. Maybe one would have to say that we need somebody else to land on the land on the moon and conduct various tests, which prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that that person is on the lunar surface and not in some some uh, film set somewhere. Um, and that we can accept that. I would like to accept that we have landed on the moon. I mean, that's, I'm old enough to have watched it live or been around when it was actually happening in 1969. Hmm. I would like to believe that it, it did happen. But unfortunately for most people, we're talking uh, history, something which has happened in their past. Well, we're coming up to the 50th anniversary of Apollo 8, December next year. And I think there's going to be a great deal of attention on this subject. Because can you prove that we landed on the moon. That's the, uh, that's the key point. You say you've seen the film, you believe it. You know, I believe in Father Christmas. I believe in the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny. But, but for everything else, I want evidence. What is the... But I think there, I think there is quite a bit of evidence. Okay. I think with things like the Easter Bunny, we, we, we can accept that they are fairy tales and, and that there's a reason for them existing. One of the, one of the things that I have a problem with conspiracies... In, in general, really, is the fact that, that there hasn't been a conspiracy ever. You know, let's go back to the Hitler conspiracy. Um, History is full of conspiracies, but the one of the things you know about them, if you look at them, is that they are very, very often practically always go wrong, and they never involve thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It's just too big. And that's quoting John Gray, the uh, okay. famous English philosopher. And, it, and, it, and he's right. It, it, it's impossible to have uh, such an important event with so many thousands of people being involved that we don't that, that the whole thing just doesn't fall apart. That, that's the that's the normal argument given. There are far too many people involved, and nobody can keep a secret, which is complete nonsense, of course. Um, one of the best kept secrets was the nuclear bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Uh, the Manhattan Project involved a similar number of people to Apollo working on the development of the uh, uh, um, atomic bomb. But how long was it kept secret for? And bear in mind this is during wartime and under extremely strict conditions. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that's what we're talking about on Apollo as well. War- well, no, because we've got commercial companies working on it. Yeah, there was pu- there's lots got- of public stuff. Nothing was really hidden. The- Okay, I think I think we have to disagree with that. Have you heard of the term compartmentalization? Mm-hmm. Okay, compartmentalization means you know enough to do your own job, but you don't need to know about the guy next door. So everything is kept very rigidly secure for security purposes. Obviously, the people making the lunar rover up in Boeing in Seattle in uh, um, Oregon didn't know very much about what the people making the spacesuits over in um, Hamilton Standard in um, 
the eastern seaboard. They didn't know what was going on down at Houston. They didn't need to know. They would read what they saw in the papers, they'd watch what they saw on television, but they wouldn't need to know the detail of it. Very, very few people, probably about a dozen in total, would, would have the overall picture. Uh, the director, obviously, Ivana von Braun, would have known what was going on with the rockets, but he probably hadn't got that much interest in what was going on with the lunar rover. All he knew was what size it was and where it had to fit on the rocket. Not everybody knew everything. This is, a, this is one of the key points. So, Marcus, let me ask you about the rocket going up. What, when, when, I mean, I, I assume you believe that the actual rocket left. What do you think, what do you think happened after that? Uh, that rocket, uh, uh, the first stage fell into the Atlantic. The yeah. second stage went into orbit. Uh, the third stage was launched, we're told, to the moon because people saw it going. No, they didn't. It was launched over the Pacific. There was nobody there to see it. It's, it's very easy to come up with what is supposedly a logical explanation for something going on. I've, I've also heard the stories about the people who listened into the Apollo broadcasts. But how many people knew know that there was a satellite launched into geosynchronous orbit, which could then broadcast back? That it was part of the trial of, uh, of the testing of the. Uh, development of the communication system. So do you believe that the, that the astronauts actually were on, on Saturn V? Oh, absolutely, yes. Right. Can I just, can, can I, can I, I'll, I'll bring in one, one last thing, and I'm sure you were, you, you'd expect me to do this, uh, the, the law of parsimony. As I, as I drove into work this morning, I went through a little village called Ockham, which of course is uh, famous for William Ockham, and uh, so we, we, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up, of course, Occam's razor, which is really to sort of have a look at this and say, well, what is the simplest explanation for all the photos on the moon, all the rockets that have been built, all the documentation, all the science, all the moon rocks that are in, in lab laboratories, all the documentation, all the people that worked on it, all the museums, everything. What is the simplest explanation for this immense pile of... Uh, of not evidence but artifacts what is the simplest explanation is it that man went to the moon or that it was a conspiracy that man went to the moon and i would say that if you applied occam's razor that or the law of parsimony that you would have a, a real a, a real job to say that the the the, the simplest answer to this is n is not that we actually did go to the moon I would expect it. because every, everything else was, uh, you know, everything else seems to be very, very complicated and require many more steps for it to be true, or many fewer steps to be true. Because if you pre-recorded the whole thing, all you have to do is use an IBM 360 computer, which was one of the first installed, was at Houston. That's what you do. It, it's it's the way news broadcasts are done today. You you collect all these various aspects of it and put them out when you say you're going to put them out. It's not a problem. That's one of the simplest explanations. As to the 32,000 photographs that were taken uh, on Apollo, that's very simple to do. I mean, it's more or less the number of photographs taken during any major film production. Stills photographers wandering around taking photographs. Marcus, why? What? Just another thought that's just come into my head. If it, if if we didn't go to the moon, why would they bother to do it another six times? Because they got all the equipment and there would be many more questions asked if the equipment wasn't subsequently used. 
uh, Nixon, who was president at the time of the landings, cancelled the final three Apollo missions, uh, 18, 19, and 20, and that's what was used for Skylab and the Apollo-Soyuz link-up. Uh, they had to use the rockets. Whether they decided that they'd done enough and people were just getting bored with it, which is quite likely, I mean, reruns of I Love Lucy would seem to be of greater importance to the American public than, landing on, than seeing people landing uh, on the moon. Interesting. Was there, was there anyone like yourself, Marcus, at the time, um, in 1969, who uh, who questioned it like you did, and if there was, were they convinced with the later launches? I I don't know. In fact, uh, probably the, the best known person who questioned it was somebody that Bill Clinton mentions in his biography, where he talked to his gardener. I, I think it was his gardener saying, and then Bill Clinton saying, "Oh, look at they've landed man on the moon," and his gardener said, oh, "I don't believe any of them." Um, television chaps are ridiculous. One of the first uh, people questioning it. People did question it. I I didn't question it until about 20, 25 years ago Hmm. when I heard somebody mention it almost in an offhand way, saying, oh, no, those photographs taken on the moon, they they weren't taken there. I thought I'd investigate it. I was trained as a photographer, so I know about the cameras. I know about the film. Because to many people today, don't forget that digital uh, cameras are the only thing that they're familiar with. All these photographs we're talking about are films taken on photographic film, which which works completely differently to digital. And I've seen people try to recreate some of these Apollo photographs using digital equipment, and I think, you know, what nonsense is that? The two are completely different. You can't get a comparison. So you, you've got all these anomalies coming in, and people don't... Marcus, we've... We've unfortunately we've, we're, we're running out of time to do to. <laughs> we've we're, this has been absolutely fascinating, Marcus. Thank Agreed. you very much. Thank you very much for coming on. We know it's not uh, not an easy easy thing. We are <laughs> we are going to have to cut it short, or else I'll have an editing job ah. nightmare. And, and, and we, we try and keep these things to thirty minutes an hour long. So this this show is undoubtedly going to be an hour long. Ah. I think we've got a lot to talk about and a lot for our listeners to go away and 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 think about as well. It's been really fascinating well, I'm stuff. Well, I'm delighted to, uh, you've invited me. Thank you very much for doing so. I hope it's been of, of interest and of use. I've, I've learned something as well. It's been really, really interesting. And uh, as as we said earlier, you know, it's it, you know, I admire your tenacity to to come on to places like this when you you kind of know what you're going to expect. So uh, I, I appreciate that. I respect that. Politeness and general goodwill is the best thing. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, is that, here, if here. only the rest of the world ran like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Marcus, for coming on. And uh, we'll speak again soon, I'm sure. And if I don't, I'll, I'll probably see you at the BIS event next week where we're showing the Last Man on the Moon film, I believe. So uh, if I see you there, we can have a nice pint together. Uh-huh. And uh, if not, uh, we'll probably have part two of this in a couple of weeks' time. If that's okay, yeah, delighted. Um, let's get the let's get the good questions in, the hard ones. Let's get the hard <laughs> ones in, absolutely. And uh, and I and I can send them over to you, and we'll we'll deal with them on the, on the on the next broadcast. Thank you very much, Marcus, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, thanks, thanks Marcus. Marcus. Bye. 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 I really enjoyed that, and you know, it's and as we said before, you know, everyone's allowed their own views, um, and. Uh, and that's he's a fine. lovely bloke. He's a lovely chap. I definitely think 
very differently, but he knows a lot of stuff, doesn't he? God, he knows way more about space than I do. You know, he knows it in very, very peculiar, you know, really peculiar detail, doesn't he? It's incredible. He's he's all over it. Absolutely, but, and you would have course. you would have to to um, you know to back up some of his claims, which, yeah. as as we said before, we definitely don't agree on, and that's all right. That's fine. No one's getting no hurt. One's, no one's getting um, hurt. Here. But it's good to talk about these things, and we'd love your responses. So, as Matt said in the beginning of the show, please tweet in, email in, um, check us out on our Facebook page, and leave a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And I shall be marching uh, for science on April the twenty second to make what? amends for having this for having Marcus on the show. <laughs> okay, okay. So, and I, yeah. You know me, Jamie. I never march for nothing. Yeah, that's true. I tell you what, war. What is it good for? Absolutely. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, so, uh, oh, Jamie, I stayed up yeah. last night after buzzing about. Uh, interviewing Marcus, uh, I then yeah. stayed up and watched, uh, I think, one of the most historical moments in spaceflight history. Was it when I got my NASA T-shirt? It was when you got your NASA T-shirt. I, I was wearing my ESA T-shirt that I've recently purchased for myself, which I'm what really a couple of geeks. No wonder we've got no other friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, what? No, it was SpaceX managed to relaunch. A reused um, rocket booster, Falcon so, 9. So, Falcon 9. Yeah, wow. flying again, flying again after it's flown already. And then they managed to land the thing back on the barge again. So now it's been, it, it can be reused twice. And uh, I, don't, I actually completely forgot that they were actually launching a satellite. So when the satellite, when the picture of the satellite actually being deployed, I watched it live. Up, it was mind blowing. <laughs> it's actually, actually mind blowing. Incredible. So and good. the camera footage was brilliant. Well, the camera footage was good of the actual rocket, but when it came to the landing, we had a bit of a disappointment there, I think. Right, right. In yeah. fact, that, that may go... Do you know what? We'll probably, in 50 years' time, be having a conversation with Marcus about how that never happened and how convenient it was that the uh, that the camera stopped working. Oh, yeah. We're, we're looking at things differently <laughs> now, Matt. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm turning into one of them. <laughs> but uh, the one thing I haven't... Uh, we, we, we'll deal with this next... Uh, next week we'll have a proper episode on the SpaceX uh, achievement. Because one yes. thing I haven't been able to find out yet is whether they, they, they were also going to try and experimentally bring the fairings back as well. And I don't know whether that happened because of all the sort of furore around, around this. I tell you what... And this morning I woke up and I dreary-eyed over my bowl of muesli looking right. at the mo- morning telly. BBC News. Uh-huh. It's it's a big enough uh, space event that he actually made it onto the news, which is which I suppose we should be grateful. Absolutely. Uh, but then the news, the way that it was reported, it was kind of like this. Oh yeah, some Californian entrepreneurs got a uh, a second-hand rocket up into space. I mean, I can't see the point. Essentially, is what the news oh, reader said. He goes, "Would you want? Do you want a second-hand rocket?" He goes, "I'm not. Go- I'm not going to fly up on a second-hand rocket." And then they were just like, that was their kind of comment on it. And it's like, I love the way the they BBC. say second-hand, like you're buying yeah. an old telly that oh might not work. God. It's yeah, embarrassing. Yeah. But they anyway. need to come, we, we need to interview them. <laughs> but uh, Elon Musk was, of course, uh, 
on the uh, live webcast, and he was looking very, very happy and smug with himself. He was, as he should be. Drink. Drink. Uh, drink. So, Jeff Bezos, not to be outdone this week, of course. Oh, yeah, JB. What's he up to? JB. He um, gave us all a sneak peek of his Blue Origin crew capsule that everyone's going to be flying up in. Euphemism or no? No, no. No, no euphemism, Sorry. Jamie. I haven't, I haven't done you. that. I haven't done them in a while. <laughs> Give me this one. I'll, okay, I'll let you have that. I might sneak sneak that one in. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's not a euphemism. I was going to say, stop making it worse. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, and also, yesterday was a great day for astronaut Peggy Whitson. Ah, oh, Peggy. So let me get this right. She is now the uh, most spacewalked woman with uh, eight times. Is it? Yeah, exactly right. Yep. Amazing. And, uh, Good work, Peggy. We, yeah, Peggy, what, she is literally, again, one of my favourite ever astronauts, and rightly so. She's, Absolutely. We've talked about her on the show before, but her achievements are unbelievable. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so cool. It's absolutely ridiculous. So she's go incredible. And read, go, go off and read about Peggy Whitson, because she's just so cool. Big up yourself, a, Doctor. Particularly a Tumblr page, I seem to remember, was one thing we went on about last time. Uh, one of your favourites... Uh, I saw that uh, NASA Juno has completed its fifth oh, Jupiter flyby. the photos are just glorious. Like I, ca- I can't. I've got. A, I've, as you've seen, I've got a big uh, picture of one in my house, and I, I, I just get lost staring at it. It looks like the most beautiful kind of paint marbled planet. It, I just love it. Yeah. So there's, oh, we're going to get some more brilliant photos from Juno. Get in, Juno, you've been brilliant. Absolutely. Now, uh, uh, a listener of ours, Polly Taplin. Oh, yeah, has, Tappers. Yeah, What's yeah, she up old to? Tappers. She uh, sent in the something that we didn't talk about, which we really should have done, of course, yeah. is, is that Stephen Hawkins has been offered a place on the Virgin Galactic. OK, now this... I want to bring up this, because isn't this old news? Now, when they first... this Like, a couple of years ago, they announced that he was going to get a place... But has it got? Has something else happened that I, we don't I, know about? I must admit, I felt the same as you that I always thought that that he had a place on it. But so well, I don't when really they know. when they started um, the test flights, he said that the first people to go up was going to be him and his family, and then the second ship to go up would include. Uh, I think it was at the time before they split up, um, Brangelina. Um, which obviously might not happen now. I don't know if they're going to go separately. Um, or And also Stephen Hawking. Mm. Um, so I knew that he was he was offered a place, but I don't know if that's taken an, a next step in terms of... I don't know. Well, I, what, what I, I, I'm really dubious about it anyway. I mean, uh, there's uh, an article by Peter Diamandis, a, a hero mm. of mine, of course, um, who, who goes on... Uh, to say how many kind of medical staff... Well, I was uh, going to say, you, you don't think him. he'll be healthy, healthy enough, uh, do you? No, I, I think, you know, yeah. he couldn't... He wasn't healthy enough to make a trip to the Royal Festival Hall. That's it right. He's unlikely to make a trip to... Oh, it's so sad. Space. I really hope more than anything I mean, I they make does. it happen. I hope he does, of course. Because if does. there's anyone on this planet that deserves to go, surely it's him. Well, there's probably more deserving people. There's, name, what about n- the, name one. Well, m- probably... Some woman who's worked in a care home looking after old no, people. No, I mean in the space community. I mean in the, I mean with, in the, space no community. Reward, Jamie. Oh, OK, fair enough. <laughs> oh, God. 
What about the nurses? <laughs> uh, no, Jamie, don't don't be don't go cynical on my ass. No, yeah. I'm no, I'm, okay. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what launches have we got? We've had the Falcon Nine. Uh, historical I Falcon 9 I don't say. know what's happened well well Ariane 5 that we were supposed to have has ah, been yes. set back by the usual French strikers I don't think people realise that the French just love a strike they love and once it. they're out on strike it's pretty hard to get them back working again yeah well there's all that bread and cheese to eat yeah exactly and nice wine lovely uh, wine I wouldn't uh, and, and before the end of the week before the next podcast we might possibly see uh, GSL V2 which of course is the Indian launch vehicle Glory. Uh, so that so we might see one of those. So we'll talk about that probably on the next podcast. Yeah. But Jamie, th- there's not much else to say, is there? That there I've isn't. Had, we hope I you really enjoyed, enjoyed our, our our show today. We we absolutely loved it. Real. And we real realize fun. we realize it's controversial. And please don't have a go at us for giving people like Marcus a platform. The internet gives people like Marcus a platform. And it was absolutely. only one show we want, in 28, which, which you we know, want gives to, it we, nice we just balance. wanted to open it up. And I think you can hear from, from our side uh, where we stand. So that's, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, we, we're engaging and we're engaging politely with him. Which exactly. I think is a, a lesson for us all, isn't it, Jane? Lesson for us all. Let's all get along. <laughs> anyway, right, Matt, well, thanks listen, you have listening. yourself a good weekend. And, and you. And, um, well, we'll see you next week. See you next week, listeners. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.